This year, for the 84th time, Bowling Green and Toledo battle it out in the Battle of I-75. And your home for the coverage is right here on All Andy Alfred. This upcoming Friday, a special edition of All Andy Alfred as we preview the Battle of I-75, look ahead towards the Top 25 and the NFL football schedule. And on Saturday, live from Joint L. Perry Stadium, All Andy Alfred will take over the tailgate lots as we review the Battle of I-75 and to celebrate 100 years of BGSU football. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at AllAndyAlfred. It is at AllAndyAlfred and Facebook.com slash AllAndyAlfred. So tune in this Friday and Saturday for the Battle of I-75 and a special 100-year celebration of BGSU football right here on the Anchor Network. The following is a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network, powered by Anchor. You are listening to Andy on the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, and Pocket Cast. However you listen, wherever and whenever you listen, thank you for tuning into the program tonight. And you can always be a part of the show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alfred. It is at All Andy Alfred and Facebook.com slash All Andy Alfred. The Lions were on the bye last week. And they get ready for a battle in the tundra of Green Bay, Wisconsin on Monday Night Football. However, the Browns lay a huge egg. On Monday night against Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers. One and two. That is the current record of our Columbus Blue Jackets. It's early. But it was good to get a win last night. Ohio State was set up for the upset. But boy, oh boy, they turned on the heat in the second quarter. While Michigan gets the job done against Iowa. Toledo puts themselves into the driving seat against Western Michigan. And Bowling Green. I heard this song too, too much. Yes, on this past Saturday. A thumping in South Bend deters it all because it's rivalry week right here on All Andy Alfred. Guess who's back? All Andy Alfred. And a shot at a goal. 54 runs in the span of the Shut out. Dumbino. Hit to a home run. Go. That's way back. Put some extra relish on my hot dog. Bear down, Chicago Bears. Choo choo, it's time for All Andy Alfred. And with that, I say, oh! 
love you guys, and welcome in to another edition of Andy Alfred, right here on your exclusive home for me, the Anchor Network, and that is with the plethora of platforms with the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Bleaker, Stitcher, however, wherever and whenever you listen to this podcast, I thank you so, so much. For tuning into the podcast this evening, and you can be a part of our show by following us on Twitter. It is at all Andy Alford. It is at all Andy Alford. And if you have a comment, hashtag AAA Live on our Twitter, as well as on Facebook.com slash all Andy Alford. Welcome into the podcast tonight. Got a lot to get into. Of course, we're going to recap Bowling Green's big win. Yes, a big win for Bowling Green against Miami of Ohio in the ice hockey situation. As they start their season on the road, they come now into the Icebreakers Tournament. We'll talk about a little bit about that. Also, we'll dive into the college football realm. Of course, we'll break down the whole Bowling Green game against Notre Dame. As well as talking about Ohio State, Michigan, and, and Toledo as well. Also, we'll dive into the Jacket Report. Of course, the Jacket's underway this season. As well as an Andy Ranch you won't want to miss. Um, So, welcome into the podcast. So, welcome into the podcast this evening. A lot to get into. We'll start, first and foremost, with the National Football League. And we'll start, since the Lions had a bye this week, they will now get ready for Green Bay. And we'll get to the Green Bay game here in just a second because I got a chance to watch the game basically in its entirety. Uh, we'll talk about that here in just a second, but we'll start first and foremost with the local team that was in play last night in San Francisco in the Bay as Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchens, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr. faced Jimmy Garoppolo and and Goodwin and the San Francisco 49ers. This was not a good game. If you're a Browns fan like I am, watching this game, we should never, and I say never, get more than two primetime games a year. Sunday night football game against the Rams showed us we weren't ready. The Jets game was a win game for us. This one was an absolute travesty. An absolute joke. This game... There's nothing good to come out of this game. Yeah, sure, the defense played a lot better. You could say that, you know. But coaching. Freddie Kitchens is a young coach and... This showed in this game. Absolutely showed in this game, folks. Absolutely showed in this game. The Browns were down 14 to nothing after the first quarter of of this game. 14 nothing. They only rallied to get a field goal. Thank God they got a field goal. It would have been a shutout. It would have been a shutout. But San Francisco dominated 
this game from start to finish. And if you're a Niners fan, you're 4-0. And you're playing the Rams next week. Garoppolo looks fantastic. San Francisco is not getting enough credit for what they are. They're a really good team. They really are. And it they're a good team, and it exposed how bad the Browns are this year. Mayfield in the game was 8 for 22. Had a total of 100 yards. He threw two interceptions, no touchdowns. Nick Chubb, a good game, but he was under 100 yards. 16 carries for 87 yards. Jarvis Landry, four catches for 75 yards. OBJ, two catches, 27 yards. I mean... Mayfield fumbled the ball twice. Odo Beckham fumbled the football. But Jimmy G, Jimmy Garoppolo, looked absolutely stellar. 20 for 29, 181 total yards, two TDs in the game. His QBR was a 52.7. Baker Mayfield's a 1.7. Breda. The leading rusher for San Francisco had 11 carries from 114 yards, one TD in the game. Coleman, 16 carries for 97 yards, one TD in the game. Kittle, six catches, 70 yards, one TD in the game. Goodwin also had three catches for 41 yards, no TDs in the game. The breakdown looks like this. The Browns had a total of nine first downs in this game. San Francisco had 22. On third down, Cleveland was 1 for 11. 1 for 11. Pathetic. San Francisco, 6 for 16. Cleveland had a total of 180 yards in the game. 78 through the year, 102 on the ground. San Francisco had 446 yards of total offense. 171 through the air, 275 on the ground. Seven penalties, 55 yards for the Browns. Four penalties, 34 yards for the Niners. Turnovers, Cleveland had four turnovers, two fumbles, two interceptions. San Francisco played clean, nothing. They let it in in the possession. At 37 minutes and 43 seconds, Cleveland had 22 minutes and 17 seconds. Cleveland goes back to the drawing board. They have to. They have to go back to the drawing board. And it just doesn't get any easier for the Browns. It really doesn't. This Sunday, they have a home game against Russell Wilson... And the Seattle Seahawks before they get to the bye. Which will get them healthy and be ready to go as they go into Foxborough to play Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. They're at Denver, which is a win probably. Then they're home to play a tough Buffalo team. Before they have another Thursday night primetime game. Against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the second half of their schedule. It's pretty easy. 
two games against Cincinnati, a game against Arizona, a game against Miami. They could they 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 could have a good second half surge. But we shall see. They need they need a lot of help. Kitchens needs to to control the playbook from start to finish. He cannot have the offensive coordinator make the play calling. Kitchens has to make the play calls for Baker to accomplish what they want to accomplish, and that's winning football games. This division is wide open for the Browns. Pittsburgh is down with no Big Ben. Cincinnati is terrible. Baltimore is, eh. You can win this division. You could be an 8-8 team and win this division. That tells you how bad this division is. We just need to be better. Mayfield's got to be better. He he has to have the offensive line has to give him enough time in the pocket. Absolutely has to give him enough time in the pocket. They had four sacks yesterday for forty two yards. Lost. They lost 42 yards. Four sacks. You can't do that. And win football games. You just can't. The Browns have got to be better. And it starts next week with being competitive and maybe winning this game against Seattle. It could happen. Crazier things have happened in the NFL. And we'll get to the scoreboard here in just a second as you're listening to all in the for tonight right here on the anchor network whether it be on itunes spotify google Podcasts, however you're listening wherever and whenever thank you so much for tuning in now let's dive into the nfl scoreboard from this past week five of the nfl season so let's look at the nfl recap and it started last thursday night with the Seattle Seahawks, who the Browns will be playing next, getting a big 30-29 to win over the L.A. Rams. It was a good game in, in the aspect of, you know, Seattle coming back and winning this game. I mean, the Rams have been dominant in the West for a while, uh, for the last couple seasons, and them pulling the win, and Wilson throwing four TDs was absolutely outstanding. He was 17 for 23 for 268 yards. He had four TDs in the game. And only allowing Todd Gurley to only have 51 yards of total offense tells you how good the defense is. Look around the rest of the NFL in week five. Arizona was a winner 26 to 23 over the Cincinnati Bungles. It was the Bills, a big 14 to 7 win over the Marcus Mariota and the Tennessee Titans in Tundum. John Gruden gets his first win this season with a big 24-21 win over the Bears. Daniels, 22 for 32, 31, two TDs, two interceptions in the game. Derek Carr was 25 for 32 for 229 total yards in the game. 
All the scoring was in the second quarter. Two TDs and a field goal. It was 17-0 after one half of football. The Bears rallied, took the lead, but it was a touchdown by Josh Jacobs to end it for Chicago. And Oakland gets the 24-21 win in Tundum, London, in the first London games. New Orleans was a winner 31-24 over Tampa Bay. Minnesota gets a 28-10 win in the Metal Men's over the G-Men. Philadelphia a winner in spanking the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 31-6. It was the New England Patriots a winner 33-7 over the Washington Football Club. And Jay Gruden has been fired from Washington. They will not have him the rest of the season. And it says a lot. There's a lot right there. Baltimore, a winner in overtime, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers by a score of 26-23. to It was the Carolina Panthers, a winner 34-27 over Jacksonville. Atlanta, my pick in the Super Bowl. What's going on? I thought Atlanta would be better this year. Deshaun Watson just lighting up. The Panther offense, the defensive line, and the secondary putting 53 on Atlanta as they win 53-32 over the Atlanta Falcons. Denver, a 20-13 win over the Chargers. Sunday Night Football saw Indianapolis a winner 19-13. Patrick Mahomes coming off the field in the middle of the third quarter, limping. Got some problems. As the Colts shut down Patrick Mahomes in the offense. Mahomes was 22 for 39 for 321, one TD in the game. But Jacoby Brissett, 18 for 29, 151 yards. He had one interception in the game. It was all Adam Vinatieri to help them out in the game. And he is like the GOAT when it comes to field goal kicking. Absolutely the GOAT. Indianapolis, a winner, 19 to 13. And then we get to the... Sunday game that everybody was everybody's talking about, and that is Green Bay. Went into Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Now, looking at this game for me, it was a tale of two games. Tale of two games. And it proved to me one thing about Dallas. Dallas played a bunch of chump teams to get them set for this game and they came down to earth and realized that they aren't the real deal. All Cowboy fans, listen here. I know I have a lot of Cowboy fans that listen to this podcast. Your team is good but they got extremely exposed of how bad their secondary is, how bad their defensive line is against the Packers. When you get put up 17 points in the first half alone, you get shut out. And at one point, you're up, you're down 31. 31. To 3. You can't have that. You can't 
have that. But it was a tale of two halves of this football game. As Aaron Rodgers was 22 for 34 for 238 total yards, no TDs, no interceptions of the game. Jones had 19 carries for 107 yards. He ran the football four times in for for six points. Jones, seven catches, 75 yards. Jimmy Graham, three catches, 41 yards. Dallas made a surge in the second half. They got on their horse. Made it an interesting game. Made it an interesting game. But Mahler missing two key kicks in this game. And especially the last one that could have cost them, that cost them the win. And honestly, the chance to play for the tie. Because they were down 10 with a minute and a half to go. All Moeller had to do was kick a field goal, which is almost equaling out to an extra point attempt. And he misses it. And Green Bay takes over on downs. They need it three times, and that's your ballgame. Prescott, 27 for 44. 462. He had two touchdowns, but three interceptions. Elliott, 12 carries for 62 yards, one TD in the game. Amari Cooper, 11 catches, 226 yards. He was the offense for Prescott to go to. One TD in the game. Gallup, seven catches, 113 yards, one TD in the game. Overall stats look like this. Green Bay had 24 first downs to Dallas's 32. On third down, Green Bay was 3 for 12, Dallas 2 for 8. 335 total yards of offense for the Packers, 215 through the air, 120 on the ground. Dallas had 563 yards of total offense, 441 through the air, 122 on the ground. But penalties killed Dallas with 11 penalties on 124 yards. Green Bay, 9 penalties, 78 yards in the game. And I, 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 I say it again. You know, Green Bay is decent. They're 4-1 and one in, in the NFL right now. Looking at the division race, they hold strong in the division race right now. They're 2-0 and oh in division. They have beaten the Vikings. They have beaten the Bears. Detroit's second place right now at 2-1-1. One and one. Chicago is three and two. Minnesota is three and two. That one tie is really helping the Lions out case right now. But still, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Week six of the NFL starts this upcoming Thursday. It will be the G-Men traveling into Foxborough to take on Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. New England's favorite in the game, 17 points. I'll take New England. In that game. So it will be interesting to see what happens in week 6 of this, the NFL season. Uh, Jerry Jones has some of the news from that. Uh, Jerry Jones has missed the notion of him firing Garrett, firing the ginger. The Titans have assigned ex-bear Calvis Parsley to replace Santos. Um, it looks like San- Samuels will have surgery and will miss a month of play from the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen this upcoming week in week six 
of this neat NFL season. As you're listening to All Andy Alford tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the podcast tonight. And now let's hit the ice and let's talk a little Jackets hockey. The Jackets are back on the ice. It's time to fire the cannon, and it's time to put on your jackets. It's time for the Jackets Report, right here on All Andy Alfred. Oh yeah, it's time to fire the cannon. The Jackets are back on the ice for this 2019-20 campaign. And boy, oh boy, opening night in Columbus. A full house to see the Jackets take on the Toronto Maple Leafs. A great crowd on hand. The Jackets Coming out with a new team and a new era in Columbus Blue Jacket hockey. As without Artemi Panarin, without Ryan Dezingo, without Matt Duchesne, and without Sergei Bobrovsky. I'll say this about this team. We need some work. It does need some work. It's a young team and, you know... There's nobody to blame for. We're not Todd Richards. We haven't won a hockey. We haven't lost. We haven't won a hockey game yet. We have won a hockey game. We'll get to the whole breakdown here in just a second. But you know the play of Wenberg. I've I've I like what he's been doing lately. I've liked to see more. I like Nick Foligno stepping up and stepping out of his shell more and becoming the captain leadership role of it. Um, I do like the line of, with. Uh, with uh, this new kid Benstrom, very good. Um, Milano's got to get better, of course, when he get, when he gets into the lineup. But Cam Atkinson is just a stud on the ice, and when you put him on the first line with Pierre Luc Dubois and and Gustav Nyquist, the former Red Wing and former San Jose Shark, it is just it's just electric. It's absolutely electric to see these guys play. And opening night to me was just getting used to everybody. You know, we haven't played, everybody hadn't played together. You saw a lot of the younger guys making the making the run and everything like that together. But this was the first test for the Jackets. And they lose to the Leafs by a score of 4-1. to one. Mitch Marder started the scoring for the Leafs on the power play. A great passing play from Tavares and Riley. Made it one nothing in favor of Toronto. After 20 minutes of play, Cody Ceci getting his first goal of the season as well too. At the 10.35 mark of the second period. Making it 2 nothing Toronto. A snapshot beating Jonas Corpusal, who looked pretty good. We'll get to Corby here in just a second from Nylander and O'Reilly. But the play of Cam Atkinson in this game, he continues a goal streak, 
for over for opening night goals. He's now got five opening night goals in the last five opening night games that he has started. He gets an unassisted goal from the faceoff win. Uh, Anderson was trying to play the puck out, couldn't get the play go, couldn't move the puck enough, and Atkinson buries it past An- Frederick Anderson on the power play. Goal unassisted, and it was 2-1 in favor of Toronto. But then Mitch Marner, again, his second of the night from Tavares and Muzzin, making it 3-1 in the third period. And then Austin Matthews beating Jonas Corposalo on the power play, 4-1 Toronto. And that was the final at 200 West Nationwide Boulevard for opening night 2019. The Jackets fall to the Leafs by a score of 4-1. Both teams had 29 shots on goal. Toronto led in the faceoff dot 59% to 41%. Toronto 2 for 5 on the power play. Columbus 1 for 5. Columbus out-hit Toronto in the game 18, uh, 20 to 18. They also had 17 blocks and 13 blocks for the Leafs. Um, overall, uh, the three stars were all Leafs. Morgan Riley, the number three star. Frederick Anderson, the number two star. Mitch Marder with his two goals was the number one star. Jonas Corposalo stopping 25 of 29, getting the first start as the number one guy for the Jackets. Stopped 25 of 29, his save percentage of .862. For Anderson stopping all, stopping 28 of 29, his save percentage of .966. So the Jackets fall on opening night, and they could not just recover and have a day off to recover from it. They went back into the ice, and they go into Pittsburgh, and let me just say this, folks. Pittsburgh is a mess. But the fact that we just look like a damn mess says otherwise. Columbus goes into PPG Arena on Saturday night and just... How can I say it? They just laid an egg. It was good. They played a great 20 minutes of play. I got to give them credit for that. But then just five on and five goals in the second period by the Penguins. It all started with Patrick Hornquist, his first of the season from Johnson and Can, And then Penderson making it 2 nothing Pittsburgh at the 4-14 mark of the second period before Zach Warinski bearing it past the goaltender Murray. And it was 2-1 Pittsburgh halfway through the second period alone. But the onslaught continued for Pittsburgh in that same period. McCann getting an unassisted goal, beating the new newcomer in Elvis Marincic, getting his start and... McCann getting two goals in that period. His first and second of the season, making it 4-1. And at that time, I started thinking, what is Tortorella thinking right now? Does he keep Elvis in, or does he pull the kid and bring Corpy in after a night's rest, almost a half a night's rest on the ice? And I thought about it, and I said, I have a feeling Torres is going to keep him in. And he did. He kept him in so he can learn from his mistakes. And he continued to give up goals. Letang 
his first of the season, making it 5-1 Pittsburgh. After 40 minutes of play, it was 5-1 Pittsburgh leading the game. In the third period, Patrick Hornquist, his second of the season from Crosby and Gensel. And then Bluger, his first of the season, making it 7-1 Pittsburgh at the 11:53 mark, 58 mark of the third period. However, the Jackets newcomer Gustav Nyquist getting his first as a Columbus Blue Jacket from the assist from Riley Nash, making it 7-2, but that was the final lap on Saturday night at PBG Building in Pittsburgh. McCann, the number one star. Hornquist, the number two star. Latang, the number three star. Pittsburgh outshot Columbus in the game 40-30. to They led it in the faceoff dot 51% to 49%. Pittsburgh 1 for 4 on the power play, Columbus 0 for 1. They had Columbus had 13 minutes in penalties, Pittsburgh 7 minutes in penalties. Columbus did lead in the hits at 49 to 44. They also had 15 blocks to Pittsburgh's 8 in the game. For Pittsburgh in the game, it was Murray stopping 28 of 30, his save percentage of a .933. Marinsics, Marinskins, excuse me. Stopping 33 of 40 in the game. His save percentage to start the season, a .825. So the Jackets falling in Pittsburgh, but they did get a day off to recover on Sunday before they welcomed in the Buffalo Savers last night at Nationwide Arena. Nationwide, again, packed for this game, which was a surprise on a Monday night. You know, and with the Browns playing on Monday Night Football, I kind of figured that the Jackets would it wouldn't be that big of a crowd, but it was. The Jackets fans, I I tre- tremendously give you applause. I I am just absolutely outstanding for this one. The Jackets came out strong and they fed off the crowd. And Bjorky Oliver Bjorkstrand getting his first goal this season with the Jackets from Seth Jones and Zach Warinski. At the 18:09 mark of the first period, played the puck beautifully, went off. Atkinson took the shot. And that, excuse me, not Atkinson, but it was a shot, tip shot, went behind the net. Bjorkstrand picked the puck up and buried it past the Buffalo goaltender, and it was one nothing. Jackets. The Jackets then went on the power play towards the end of the first period, and Atkinson at the front door buries it past the goaltender. Of Lumark. And it's 2-0 CBJ after 20 minutes of play. Atkinson's assist was from Wenberg and Dubois. But then they let Buffalo back in this hockey game. They did not take the foot off the throat of the Sabres. Johansson, his first of the season from Miller and Sheary. And it was 2-1 Buffalo. And then Joe Joe Skinner. On the snapshot, ties the game at 2 at the 11.58 mark of the second period, and that's where it stayed after 40 minutes of play. And then, like I said, Nick Foligno coming out of his shell, stepping up as a leader, and continuing to pound the the Sabres. Getting his first of the season and another $500 to the Janice Foligno Foundation, courtesy of Papa John's Pizza, the Jackets were up 3-2 to two from Benstrom. His first point as a Columbus Blue Jacket and first points in the NHL. Alexander Texier getting his first 
of the of assist of the season on the power play. But then Victor Olofsson, his third of the season, tying the game with a minute and a half left to go in the game. They have to be better than that. They cannot let the easy goals go in. But that's probably because of the lack of young veteranship that they have. Columbus has. Olsen, his third from Darlin and Reinhardt. And we go to overtime. And the Jackets find a way to get the job done from a from a shooter in Texier. Now Polino steals it from Eichel in front. Texier, he shoots and scores. And I got two words for you. Game over. So the Jackets with Alexander Texier getting the game winner courtesy of CBJ Radio, the Jackets, and Alexander Texier getting his first NHL regular season goal of this season from Nick Foligno, his second assist, the Jackets, two minutes and eight seconds in overtime, gets the win, the and he gets the number one star, Bjorkstrand, the number two star, and Nick Foligno, the number three star. The Jackets out shooting Buffalo in the game 44 to 18. They led in the faceoff dot 57% to 43%. Buffalo was two for four on the power play. Columbus two for three. They also out hit the Sabres 15 to 13 and out blocked them 17 to 13 in the game. Corpusalo getting the first win in the as the number one starter. He stopped 15 of 18, his save percentage of .833, while Lumark, the loss, he stopped 40 of 44, his save percentage of .909. So the Jackets are now 1-2 to start this season. They will have a couple few days off now. They'll have three days off before they welcome in the Anaheim Ducks, who are playing in Detroit this evening. And we'll get to the NHL roundup here in just a second. The Jackets have... Anaheim. Then they go on the road to play the Carolina Hurricanes. They'll have three days off, and then they'll welcome in the Dallas Stars before heading to Horksville, of course, and the Chicago Blackhawks before returning home to play the New York Islanders. They then, on Monday, the 21st of October, head into Toronto, welcome in the Hurricanes on the 24th of Toronto, head to Philly to see Gritty and the Philadelphia Flyers, on the 26th, before ending the month of October with a game against Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers on the 30th, 7.30 puck drop for that one. I think that game might be an NBCS game, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, it will not be. It will be a 7.30 puck drop on Fox Sports Ohio. So the Jackets get are now 1-2, and two, and I'm going to say this to you guys right now. I know it's early in the season. I'm not jumping on this team to you know, attack them. But I, I'm just going to say this. It's young. Let's take 20 games. I, I, my feeling on this team, after 20 games, we'll finally know what this team really is. 20 games. We have to do that. 
It's an 82-game season, 20 games in. Right now, it's an early estimate. It's It looks, you know, it's decent. It's decent. And we'll get to the standings here in just a second. But last night, the other game in the NHL as the Jackets win 4-3 to in overtime. The St. Louis Blues, the defending Stanley Cup champions, beat the Toronto Maple Leafs at Scotiabank Arena by a score of 3-2. to Tonight on the slate, Winnipeg goes into PPG Arena to take on the Winnipeg, the Pittsburgh Penguins. It will be the Vegas Golden Knights hosting the Boston Bruins. 10 o'clock puck drop for that one. Carolina is in in Florida to take on the Panthers. Edmonton is in the Isle to take on the Islanders. Dallas is in the nation's capital to take on the Capitals. Detroit is at home. They'll take on the Anaheim Ducks. Anthony Manta, the number two star of the week, of course. The number one star of the week was Nikas Zbadajad, and the number three star was Austin Matthews. It will be the Predators at home to take on the San Jose Sharks. And the late game, of course, like I said, besides uh, Vegas and Boston, it will be L.A. taking on the Calgary Flames. So the Jackets, with their win, I know it's really early, but let's take a look at the standings. Buffalo, with their loss in overtime, are now in first place in the Atlantic Division with a record of 3, with a record of 2-0-1 with 5 points. Toronto, 2-1-1 with 5 points as well. Detroit, 2-0-0 with 4 points. Metropolitan Division looks like this. It's very early in the season, like I said. Carolina has a perfect 3-0. Washington, 2-0-1. And the Rangers are a 2-0-0 so far. Wild card looks like this. Boston's number one spot at 2-0-0. Montreal is 1-0-1 with three points. Uh, we'll just look at the divisions right now. Carolina, Washington, and New York, like I mentioned before. Philadelphia is in fourth spot. That's their 1-0-0 with two points. Pittsburgh, 1-1-1 with two points. The Islanders are 1-1-0 with two points. The Jackets, 1-2-0 with two points. And the Devils are 0-1-1 with one point. Point Atlantic Division, like I said before, Buffalo, Toronto, and Detroit. Boston's in fourth spot at a perfect 2 0 0. Montreal 1 0 1 at three points. Tampa Bay is 1 1 1 at three points. The Florida Panthers are 1 1 0 with two points. Ottawa has not yet won a hockey game. They're 0 2 0 with zero points. The Western Conference looks like this Vegas. Holding strong in the Pacific Division at 2-0-0 with four points. Anaheim 2-0-0 with four points. So the ja- the Red Wing Duck game tonight is a big game because both teams are undefeated. Edmonton is 2-0-0 with four points as well. Calgary 1-1-0 with two points. The Kings are 0-1-0 with zero points. Arizona 0-2. Va- Vancouver 0-2. And San Jose starting off this season is 0-3. It's early. Extremely early. Looking at the Central, St. Louis picking up right where they left off. They're 2-0-1 with 5 points. Colorado 2-0-0 with 4 points. Nashville 1-1-0 with 2 points. Winnipeg 1-2-0 with 2 points. The Hawks are 0-1-0 with 0 points. Minnesota 0-2-0 with 0 points. And Dallas 0-3 with no points. Like I said, extremely early this season. 
Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Some of the NHL news and notes, of course, Patrick Marlowe agrees to a contract with the San Jose Sharks on Tuesday. Marlowe coming back from where he played last year in Toronto. Not disclose agreement, but of course not disclose what it is. But the 40-year-old forward will play his 22nd season this year in the NHL. Uh, also, Corey Perry resumes skating, but he's closer to making his debut with the with the Dallas Stars. Uh, Brain Point could return to the Ma- to the Lightning after the Maple Leafs game this Thursday. Let's see what happens with that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, that's pretty much the news and notes around the NHL. As you are listening to all Andy Alford tonight, right here. On the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the podcast tonight as well. So now, let's dive into college football. And boy, oh boy, did we feel like it was going to be a wallop in South Bend. Oh, yeah. Having to hear this all day on Saturday. After point after point. It's a really good song. Don't get me wrong. And if I didn't go to BG, I mean, I do have rooting interest in Notre Dame. I like Notre Dame. I love the movie Rudy. It was a great movie. You know why? Cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes cheering her name. Send the volley cheer on high. Shake down the thunder from the sky. Whether the odds be great or small, oh Notre Dame will win overall. While her loyal sons are marching onward to victory. Oh. All day. Had to sing that, hear that song all day as Bowling Green was blown out in South Bend in the Golden Dome at Notre Dame Stadium by a score of 52 to nothing. I got to say this. Uh, we'll get to my Andy rants here in just a second about broadcasters and and. and talking here, but second, Chirico did a good job with the game. I like Flutie as well too. Uh, great crowd for Bowling Green. There was a lot of speckles of orange all throughout the stadium. The band made the trip as well too. Um, but we got some news about what this team looks like now in my opinion. And, and to me, this team is interesting. Um, The defense looked a lot better. And this team did not look like it gave up. Not like the Kent State game. They gave up at the Kent State game. This game was a runaway before you knew it. And, and being shut out is just, was something else. We had a chance to make it a three to make it three point to get three points, but we fa- failed our field goal attempt. And we won the toss. 
and the and the offense looked good. I mean, it really did with Grant Lloyd. With Wade, it just did not look like he clicked. It just didn't look like it clicked for them. And for Bowling Green, it's just interesting. You know, Wade looked good early on, but he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't make the connections. Absolutely couldn't make the connections. And Grant Lloyd came in and just utterly dominated the quarterbacking realm. Wade, two for two, only having four total yards of passing. Grant Lloyd was the better quarterback in this game. He ran the ball. He was a dual quarterback, and he is, in my opinion, now the number one guy for this team going forward. Lloyd was 8-13 for 25 for 106 yards. He did throw an interception in the game, but he was the positive. His QBR was a 35.1. Wade was a 1.2. Tells you something there. For Bowling Green, Jones had 16 carries for 59 yards. Uh, Dantley, 13 carries for 57 yards. Grant Lloyd carried the ball eight times for six yards in the game. Quentin Morris, 10 receptions for 92 yards. Dantley, two receptions, 11 yards in the game. For Notre Dame in the game, Ian Book was the starter. He went, he had 16, he was 16 for 20 for 261 yards. He had a total of five, five, five touchdowns in the game. Plovett came in, he was five for seven. 79 yards, one TD in the game. Jones Jr., 102 yards rushing for on a seven carries. Uh, Finster, eight carries, 30 yards, one TD in the game. The receiving core for Notre Dame looked like this. McKinley, five catches, 104 yards, one touchdown. Claypool, three catches, 61 yards, two TDs in the game. Davis, Four, three receptions, 39 yards, one TD in the game. Tremble, four catches, 38 yards, one TD in the game. Kemet, two catches, 31 yards, one TD in the game. I say that because our secondary absolutely sucks. I'll be clearly honest with you. It absolutely sucked at this game. And Tariko kept saying this. I kept, I kept shaking my head every time he said this. There's only 67 players on scholarship. At Bowling Green. And then they pan to the bench. And there's not that many players on the bench. I understand that Mike. I understand that. Talk about the positives. With Bowling Green. Some bright spots of Bowling Green. Talk about how Notre Dame is playing USC. This upcoming week. Stop bashing the university. You went to Western Michigan. They haven't been relevant. In a while. Even though P.J. Fleck brought the team back up, they're not relevant anymore. We'll get to them in just a second. But Tariko and Flutie you know, called a good game, and I really appreciate what they did, giving the Bowling Green, you know, Doc Emmerich getting his piece in there, um, you know, and giving the giving, – and the university came out strong with it. I, 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 I'm very, very happy – that you know that, but the field, the play on the field was absolutely atrocious, absolutely atrocious. Bowling Green had 14 first downs to Notre Dame's 27. On third down, Bowling Green was eight for 19. Notre Dame was eight for 11. 
Bowling Green 0 for 2 on fourth down. Bowling Green had 228 yards total offense, and that's pretty good. Figuring what we've had in the past before against Kent St- Kansas State, excuse me. But they allowed 573 total yards of offense, 340 through the air, 233 on the ground. For Bowling Green, they had 118 yards of total offense, uh, 118 yards of total rush to offense, and 110 through the air. Bowling Green had six penalties for 39 yards. Notre Dame had one penalty for five yards, and it was a false start penalty. Bowling Green turned over the football once, which was very, very good. They were clean. It was a clean game. And Bowling Green did lead in time of possession at 33 minutes and 20 seconds. So Bowling Green falls to Notre Dame by a score of 52 to nothing. We have now the post-game comments from Scott Leffler after the game in Notre Dame. Yeah, there were some positives. Uh, we were better on third down, which you know, when you're better on third down, you're able to stay on the field. Uh, we got to stay on the field to protect our defense right now. Um, there was a few missed opportunities on third down to keep uh, drives alive. We need to find a way on uh, fourth and short to be able to sneak the ball. That's something that we need to work on. Uh, but uh, there was some positives. You saw uh, some light uh, in terms of uh, some consistency of staying on the field. We're struggling with uh, the ability to make the play to score. Uh, it's quite evident. Uh, but um, to their credit, uh, this is arguably hands down. I was talking to Brian Kelly before the game and Mike Elston. This might be their, their best defense they've had here in a long time. And uh, I said that earlier in the week. I think they've done a great job recruiting. I think uh, there's not a hole on their defense. They're long, they're athletic, they're different. Um, and uh, they'll be a top five team.
consistent across the board a better effort execution than Kent State? I don't know that. I, I, I felt like that, uh, but to sit here and say, uh, uh, we'll have to watch the tape. I felt that way, without a doubt, I did. Uh, however, I'll be able to uh, comment on that after watching the tape. I don't want to say something that's not true. Yeah, it's this this uh, foot thing with uh, Andrews frustrating. Came out in practice, tweaked it again, uh, hobbled around practice. It's a, it's a frustration, very frustrating deal for us and, and Andrew Clare. Uh, I think, you know, just like I said, I think Davon Jones and I think Denley did a very good job. It's uh, we don't want to just play two running backs. We want to play five. But we don't have that right now. And uh, so the, those guys uh, being able to carry the ball for roughly 42 times and, and against it, that defense, we got to give them major credit in terms of effort. But uh, we want to get to the point where we can roll four and five of those running backs in the game. And uh, that'll be in the near future. Who's that? I'm sorry.
gotten through. It's been a hard six weeks. We've learned a lot. And uh, we just got to have a great, positive, resilient, persistent attitude these next eight weeks and try to get as improved as much as we possibly can and find a way to win a few ball games. Period. That's what we need to do. And keep, keep winning little mini battles. And uh, you know, with time and great recruiting and all that, we'll, uh, we'll get to where we want to be. So I just heard Scott Leffler's comments after the game, um, you know, and his and how he felt about the how about he felt about this game and how he felt about Notre Dame. Um, you have to just move on and press on after this one, and um, it's pretty much how I felt about his comments after this game. He just had to move on, and I said this to a lot of people. I said, you know, we weren't going to win, but at least if we were competitive and we stay healthy, then that's considered for me a win. And that's what happened. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got nobody got injured. And we're going to be fully healthy for this upcoming week's game in the Battle of I-75. We'll get to that here in just a second. But let's recap the rest of week six in the college football spectrum. And it started on Friday with a big upset as the Bearcats of Cincinnati takes down the Knights of Central Florida, UCF, by a score of 27-24. to UCF, two losses. Welcome to the club, brother. Welcome to the club. LSU, a win 42-6 over Utah State University. It was Oklahoma, a 45-20 win over Kansas. It was Texas Tech, a 45-35 win over Oklahoma State. Florida, a 24-13 win over 7th-ranked Auburn. Florida 10th ranked in the country. Texas a big 42 to 31 win over the West Virginia Mountaineers. It was Georgia a 43 to 14 win over Tennessee. SMU a big 43 to 37 win in triple overtime over Tulsa, getting the job done. Oregon a 17 to 7 win over Cal. Oregon 13th ranked in the country. How about Stanford beating the Washington Huskies by a score of 23 to 13? In the game, unbelievable. Boise State a winner, thirty-eight to thirteen over UNLV. So now let's get into the Big Ten, and we'll start first and foremost with the afternoon, the first game of the afternoon, and that was Michigan versus Iowa. And you know, looking at this game, Stanley had not thrown an interception all season in in a long time. He had a streak going in the game. And I blame Gus Johnson and the whole Fox crew for bringing that stat up. And you'll hear why I say that here in just a second. Stanley having a terrible game. An absolutely terrible game this week for Iowa. And the defense on Michigan stood strong in this game. That's what really helped them. And they beat 14th-ranked Iowa by a score of 10-3 in the game. Shane Patterson, 14 for 26, 147, one interception in the game, no TDs in the game. Charlevoix, 13 carries for 42 yards, one TD, the only TD in the game for Michigan. Collins, three receptions, 63 yards. Donovan Peoples-Jones, four receptions, 26 yards. No TDs for both guys. For Stanley, he has he went 23 for 42, 260. No TDs, three interceptions in the game. Young, eight carries, 40 yards. No TDs in the game. 
Uh, Goodson, five catches, 62 yards, no TDs in the game. Ian Smith, four catches, 60 yards, no TDs in the game. The overall stats looked like this in this past Saturday's game. It was Iowa with 18 first downs to Michigan's 13 on third down. Iowa had, was 6 for 17, Michigan 3 for 13. Iowa was 1 for 3 on fourth down. 261 total yards for Iowa. Of those 261, 260 through the air, 1. That's right, 1 yard of rush offense. Tells you how good the defense was against Michigan. They had 30 attempts. They averaged 0.0 yards on the ground. Michigan had 267 total yards of offense. 147 through the air. 120 on the ground. 8 penalties for 60 yards for Iowa in the game. 4 penalties, 35 yards for Michigan in the game. Uh, Iowa turned the football over 4 times. Three of which were interceptions and one was a fumble. They did lead in the time of possession. 33 minutes and 57 seconds. Michigan 26 minutes and 3 seconds. So Michigan getting a big win. Beating Iowa. They now improved to 4-1. and one. Iowa with their loss goes now to 4-1 and one as well. They're still in the hunt in the, in the Big Ten West. But then in the Big Ten East, of course, Ohio State. Continued to rolling on as they played host to 25th ranked Michigan State. They welcomed in Michigan State and, you know, I felt like it was going to be a dogfight in this game. Ohio State going up early in the game, 3 to nothing in the first period. And, you know, I, I stepped away from the game for a little bit. I wanted to see what, watch a little bit of Hockey Night in Canada. And Don Cherry, I turn it back on, and then Ohio State put up 24 unanswered points on Michigan State and just rolled over Sparty, getting a final touchdown in the fourth quarter. Michigan State only getting 10 points and all coming in the second quarter as Justin Fields threw for two TDs and ran for another as Bull, as. Ohio State beats Michigan State by a score of 34 to 10. Field 17 for 25, 206, two TDs, one interception of the game. J.K. Dobbins 24 carries for 172 yards, one TD in the game. Fields also ran the ball 11 times for 61 yards, one TD in the game. Victor three catches, 79 yards, one TD in the game. Farrell one catch, 21 yards. That was a TD run, TD catch. J.K. Hill, seven catches for 57 yards, no TDs in the game. For Michigan State in the game, Lurki was pretty good. I'll give him credit on that. 20 for 38, 218, one TD, one interception in the game. Collins, 12 carries, 63 yards, no TDs in the game. Uh, Stewart was the Stewart Jr., six catches, 68 yards, one TD in the game for him. White, four catches, 42 yards. As well, too, for Michigan State. The breakdown looks like this. Michigan State had 18 first downs to Ohio State's 22. On third down, Michigan State was 4 for 13. Ohio State, 8 for 15. Total yards, Michigan State had 285 total yards of offense. 218 through the air, 67 on the ground. For Ohio State, they had 529 yards of total offense. 
206 through the air, 323 yards total on the ground. Penalties killed Ohio State, 10 penalties, 85 yards in the game, 4 penalties, 30 yards for Michigan State. The Spartans turned over the football three times, two on a fumble, one on an interception. Ohio State turned over the ball twice, one interception, one fumble. Ohio State led in time possession, 31 minutes and 37 seconds. Michigan State, 28 minutes and 23 seconds. So Ohio State continuing to roll as they beat Sparty by a score of 34 to 10. Looking at some of the other Big Ten scores, of course, Wisconsin, a big 48 to nothing win over Kent State. It was Purdue losing to to Penn State by a score of 35 to 7. Maryland, a 48 to 7 win over Rutgers. It was PJ Flex, Minnesota Golden Gophers, a winner 40 to 17 over the Lovey Smiths, fighting Illini. Nebraska, 13 to 10 wins, 10 over Northwestern. Guess score Northwestern win the game. So looking at the Mid American Conference, of course. Before we get to the Toledo game, of course, looking at week six of of this play, of course, Eastern Michigan loses to Central Michigan by a score of 42 to 16. It was Buffalo loses in overtime to Ohio 21 to 20. Ball State a 27 to 20 win over NIU. So we'll get to Toledo's game against Western Michigan. And this, folks, was a dogfight on homecoming weekend for the Midnight Blue and Gold. Gadani accounts for four TDs in the game as they opened up Mid-American Conference play for the first time and beat the Broncos of Western Michigan on homecoming by a score of 31-24 to in the game. Nagani, good game for him, 14 for 22, 200 yards, two TDs, one interception in the game. Kovac had 21 carries for 177 yards. Nagani ran the football twice. Third, excuse me, he scored twice, excuse me, two touchdowns on a running attempt. He ran 13 times for 39 yards, two TDs in the game. Mitchell, four receptions for 119 yards, one TD in the game. Maddox, three catches, 14 yards, one TD in the game. Wisnick was the starter for Western Michigan. He was 25 for 51. He had 303 yards of total, offense, uh, total yards passing. Two TDs, one interception in the game. His quarterback rating was a 39.3%. Uh, Blaney was the leading rusher for Western Michigan. He was he had 13 carries for 70 yards, one TD in the game. Moore had seven catches, 101 yards. It was Hall with three catches, 66 yards, one TD in the game. This game went back and forth, folks. Western Michigan gave Toledo a run. Honestly, gave them a run. Back and forth it went. Received four catches, 36 yards, one TD in the game. And it wasn't until Toledo stopped him on fourth down with less than two minutes to go in the fourth quarter until Toledo fans felt like they had the game won. It's got honest truth. Toledo put four, was up 14-7 to seven at the end of the first quarter. They put up 10 more points before the end of the first half. And then Western Michigan was just dominant the third quarter. It looked like, apparently, what I was told by a few people that went to the game, that Toledo didn't show up until the fourth quarter. Let Western Michigan back in the game. And they did. They honestly did. 
in the matchup comparison, it looks like this team overall stats. Toledo had 26 first downs to Western Michigan's 23. On third down, Western Michigan was 7 for 18. Toledo 6 for 12, so they were shooting at 50%. Western Michigan was 1 for 3 on fourth down. Toledo had 475 yards of total offense, 200 through the air, 275 on the ground. For Western Michigan, they had 420 yards of total offense, 303 through the air, 117 on the ground. Penalty-wise, Toledo had six penalties for 60 yards. Western Michigan had four penalties for 36 yards in the game. Toledo had two turnovers, a fumble, and an interception. One interception was thrown for Western Michigan. Western Michigan did not leave the time of possession. It was Toledo at 32 minutes and 46 seconds. Western Michigan had 27 minutes and 14 seconds. So that is the MAC, the NCAA breakdown, looking like this top 25 going into this week's play as we hit week 7 of the college football spectrum looks like this top 25 going into this play the number one overall seed still is the Alabama Crimson Tide roll tide Bama still the number one overall team overall number two right now is the Clemson Tigers three is Ohio State four is Georgia Five is LSU. Oklahoma is now six. Florida is seven. Wisconsin eight. Notre Dame with their win against Toledo, against Bowling Green moves up to nine. Penn State is now ten. Texas is eleven. Auburn twelve. Oregon thirteen. Boise State fourteen. Utah fifteen. Michigan now goes to sixteen. Iowa falls to seventeenth. Arizona State eighteen. Wake Forest is now nineteenth. Uh, Virginia is twentieth. SMU twenty first. Baylor, 22nd. Memphis is 23rd. 24th ranked is the Texas A&M Aggies. And Cincinnati is now 25th ranked in the country at a record of 4-1. and one. So no, rec- no Mid-American Conference team making the top 25 in that one. So with that all in mind, Week 7 is a big week in college football. Of course, it is rivalry week for some teams. Of course, the Red River Shootout. As 6th-ranked Oklahoma takes 10th-ranked Texas in in Dallas. Alabama travels to Texas A&M. That is a huge game, um, to say the least. You also have USC traveling across the country to battle Notre Dame. You also have Florida going into the Bayou to battle the LSU, LSU Tigers. But the big game, of course... For us, is the Battle of I-75. So it is that time of year, folks. Of course, I'm talking about the Battle of I-75 as Bowling Green welcomes in the University of Toledo. Yes, Bowling Green welcoming in the University of Toledo for a noon kickoff this Saturday afternoon. BG, a big underdog in this game, a 24.5 point point underdog in this game. 
Uh, some notes to pass along to you tonight on this, the Pike on all Andy offered uh, some new numbers for you right here. The number 10, 10 is the amount of, of receptions Quentin Morris had against Notre Dame. Of course, 17 is the number ranked nationally for Bowling Green for allowing 1.2 sacks per game. For the first time in program history, 28 is the number. In the first five games for Bowling Green State University, 28 points and and fewer is what the program has has been decided by fewer than 28 points. And 84, this is the 84th meeting between the Bowling Green State University and the University of Toledo. Toledo holding the slim lead at 40-39-4 in the all-time series. Uh, Bowling Green will be celebrating its 100th year of football this upcoming Saturday, and they will recognize a lot of uh, individuals who paved the path for this first century Falcon team. And here's an interesting news-worthy note for you. Bowling Green's first ever football game took place in 1919 on October 3rd. They battled the University of Toledo at the time. And Toledo beat them by a narrow 6 to nothing margin. Here's some backstory for you. Bowling Green... And Toledo have played every season since 1948. The two programs did not play from 36 to 47, but picked up the series in back in 48. And they have played 72 straight seasons, including this season, 2019. Bowling Green and Toledo is this, is currently the second longest annual series in against for Bowling Green. It's the second long current second longest annual series is against Ohio which they started playing back in 2004. Looking at the overall stats from the series itself, Bowling Green, like I said, is down in the series 40-39-4. The series was actually traditionally played in October until 2000 when uh, they moved it to the end of the season to accommodate ESPN broadcast. They stayed with it through late November through for a solid decade until 2011 when they decided to move it back to October. And then in 2012, it was the earliest date of this rivalry matchup was played on September 15th at the Glass Bowl. And in 2013, it was played on October 26th in Bowling Green. In 2014-15, the games were played in November 16 and 18 was played in October at the Glass Bowl, and in the 17th was played on November 15th at BGSU. Um, looking at the stats from the last last time Bowling Green beat Toledo was 2009, and uh, I got I looked it up myself. the The new craze back then was Facebook, of course, was becoming a popular hit as well as MySpace was starting to fade. Um, you also had this thing called, uh, this, this thing called 
Chipotle making a surging accompaniment as well. Uh, the number one song in the country at the time was, let's see here, was Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. Uh, we had uh, a first-term president in office by the name of Barack Obama was in office back then. And, yeah, that's pretty much some of the interesting facts for you. And the last time Bowling Green beat UT at BG was in 2009, but they beat them 38-24. to The last time Bowling Green beat UT at UT was 2008, the year I graduated high school. They beat them 38-10. to But ever since 2009, it has been UT dominance, beating us 33 to 14 in 2010. In 2011, 2021, 2012, 2015, 2013, 28, 25. And then 2014, 27 to 20. Uh, the routing was in 2017 when they beat us 66 to 37. That was the highest scoring game between the two clubs in the history of the rivalry. Um, for the eighth time this season, Bowling Green and Toledo will be playing for a trophy. In from 1980 to 2010, it was the Peace Pipe that was uh, the, the was the trophy. But getting in 2011, the schools retired the trophy out of respect to the Native American culture and began using the Battle of I-75 trophy, which is a two-piece bronze and granite sculpture that is easy to carry as well. Uh, Bowling Green in Toledo will play on national television. Uh, Bowling Green 0-2 overall on na- on television games this season. Um, news all worthy note: uh, Toledo is one and one on television games this season, which is on national television games. Uh, some players to look out for in this game, of course, Brian Kovac is the big one for Toledo. He, is, he has 91 carries for 628 yards. He has six TDs. He averages about 6.9 yards a carry, which averages out to being 125.6 yards per game. Um, of course, like we've talked before, before Mitchell Wagani is going to be the key piece for Toledo. He's, he's 62 for 102 for a 905 yards total. His average percentage is a 61%. He has seven touchdowns and two interceptions this year. His go-to receiver is Bryce Mitchell, who's who has 15 catches for 365 yards. He averages about 24.3 yards per care catch, and he averages about 70 yards per game. He has just one touchdown this year. Of course, for the Falcons, it will be of course Davon Jones, the leading rusher right now, because we don't know how Andrew Clare is going to perform. He has 15. He has 59 touches for 264 yards. One TD this season. Quentin Morris is their top, our top wide receiver. 26 catches for 310 yards, two TDs. He averages about 12 yards per catch, which is averaging out 62 yards a game. Bowling Green is going to have some trouble with the, um, with um, getting to Magani because their offensive line is absolutely amazing. I got to give credit to that. I got to give credit for that, and. The fact that Toledo ranks first in rush offense, rushing offense at 26.4, 264.8, and second in scoring offense at 33.8, it 
and a total offense of 471. In scoring defense, Toledo is leads the MAC at 23.6, despite ranking 10th in total defense at 464. The Rockets also have a our second in pass defense efficiency at 20 125.4%. Toledo is one of nine FBS schools that has a winning record over the past nine years. They're 83-38 and 38 record since 2010. So it'll be interesting, to say the least, after tonight, after this weekend's, after Saturday's rivalry game, Toledo will play at Ball State, and Bowling Green will host Central Michigan. We got a chance to listen in to both Scott Leffler and Matt Candle's comments. Um, I listened to Scott Scotty's comments. I really like Scotty's comments more than Matt's. Um, he is embracing this rivalry. Uh, he'll make mention of the Notre Dame game, of course, and what he saw on the tape. And he'll also talk about Toledo and Toledo's defense and everything like that. But for me... He talks about how this rivalry means a lot to not only his his players but the staff and this community as well. So um, it's going to be interesting to say the, to say the least how you feel about Scott Leffler after these comments. I also have Matt Campbell's comments, and to me, Matt Matt's not into this rivalry. A lot of us are into this rivalry, and I know I know a lot of you people that over the years that have you know listen to this podcast and our big Toledo supporters, you know, are going to razz me about this, but I feel like Matt Candle doesn't want to be a part of this rivalry. Scott's got a lot more energy about it and he wants to talk about it. He wants to get this, this rivaled up, but Matt is more of the focus. Let's stick down to business and something like that. And that shows you how, what kind of guy he is. We'll see how it how it all plays out, but of course, because this is the big I seventy five rivalry matchup, we're gonna play both college coaches statement. First we'll start with Matt Candle and then you will hear Scott Leffler's comments and then um you you can make your decision if you haven't decided who you're rooting for. If yours is your first time with this rivalry, welcome in. It's it's a good rivalry to be a part of. Um if you wanted to just bypass Scott Leffler's, if you want to bypass Matt Candle's comments, or if you want to listen to both and make make your judgment call and how you feel about both teams, this is where you want to do it because this is all ABL for right here on the Anchor Network. So here it is from this past Monday, both Scott Leffler and Matt Candle talking about the Bowling Green games and recapping their games from this past weekend. After looking at the videotape, I thought a really good game in all three phases for our football team. Um, not quite a complete performance yet. You know, I think we're still a work in progress to get to that point in time. Still climbing in the right direction, though. Uh, lots of things to be encouraged about and lots of things that need to be addressed and need to be fixed. Uh, um, and our MVPs for the game on offense, Bryce Mitchell, I thought had his best game as a Rocket statistically, uh, playing at a really high level. Lots of effort out there in the run game and certainly making the plays that, that come his way in the passing game. Nate Childers, a guy on defense, as a nose guard that doesn't get a lot of love. Um, you know, you, nose guard sometimes the only thing he gets to look forward to on Saturdays is 600 pounds of sweaty men and hands all over him the entire game. So, 
to get a hand on a field goal, to knock a couple balls down at the line of scrimmage. You know, in key moments, I think he's been really consistent and, and really appreciate the effort he's played with. Uh, Danzel McKinley-Lewis on special teams stepped in and, and did a good job fielding a punt there and getting a good return. Um, also played on a couple other kicking units and due to some injuries and some things like that, and really stepped up for us. So uh, selfless, act, selfless act by him and, and a guy that uh, has, has been a team first guy his entire career and continues to do that. So I'm um, happy for those three guys. Lots of guys graded out with winning grades. Um, you know, like I said, a good day in the glass bowl on Saturday and turn our focus to to this team down south here and a team that I think is improving weekly. And, uh, you know, obviously a game that we know means a lot to this community, both universities and certainly Northwest Ohio. So excited about that. Some coaches will try to downplay a rivalry game and say it's just another game. You've never taken that approach. Why is that? Well, I think you, we didn't choose this. We, we all came here, you know, um, myself, our staff, um, any player that's that chose to come to the University of Toledo, you know, chose that, you know, what the understanding that this is an important deal to this city, it's an important deal to this university. Um, it wasn't our choice that that, that place was located 20 some miles from us, um, you know, but we know that. We knew the rules of engagement when we decided to come here. So we'll embrace the expectations and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll understand that what we're getting into every, every year we play these guys that it's a 60 minute fight and, and that's what we expect on Saturday. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I just think it's a, it's the same it's the same mentality of making sure that you go out and play really hard for all sixty minutes and do a good job of making sure that you don't you know create a bunch of self inflicted wounds that hurt yourself and hurt the team. You know that that's the that's the recipe for success in any game. You know, and now that if you can capture that and you can. Uh, bottle that up, you know, now a game that maybe the outside world or the outside emotion gets a little bit heightened and it, it doesn't affect you that way. You can still stay in the moment. You can still play really solid and not worry about all the other stuff that's out there around it. I mean, I think so. I think so, but I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here on a Monday morning or, or Sunday morning team meeting sitting here, you know, painting my, a big, falcon on my chest you know i'm not we're not we're not doing anything crazy to make sure that this game is you know uh you know that we we have to ex exude and expend all of our energy but prior to kickoff like uh the ball's going to kick off somewhere around 1203 or four and we're going to play for about three and a half hours and you got to be at your best that's what's cool about college football you get that test every saturday have you noticed that they seems like last few years even when they've been down a little bit they've played their best games against you guys have you noticed that and what does that say? Does that kind of get your guys' attention every single time you play them? Well, I, it, it, it's to be expected. You know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's, you're talking about a prideful program. You're talking about a team that's got a, a winning history. You're talking about, I'm looking at the defensive depth chart today, and I'm looking across the defensive front. You know, those guys are multiple-year starters against us. You know, this is, there's a lot of guys that have played a lot of football there that have been in this game. It's important to them. Uh, let's not forget that part of it, you know. Um, you know, and now you got some new guys on both both teams that get introduced to it for the first time. You know, and you hope those guys go out and play really well. And you know, obviously each senior class doesn't want to leave with, a, you know, you're the team that, that lost to the team down south, or and I'm sure their senior class doesn't want to, you know, be the class that, that didn't beat Toledo. So, um, yeah, of course you would expect that. And I think that's what's cool about college football. That's what's cool about the proximity of the game. And 
you know, uh, these guys see each other quite a bit, you know, so it's a, it's a cool deal. Yeah, just good effort, you know, playing hard. Um, like I said, the defensive front's an experienced group, plays really hard. You know, I think they're getting great effort on all three, you know, all three levels of the defense. Um, offensively, it's been a steady improvement. Probably each week gets better and better of trying to understand and figure out a new system. You know, more at-bats equal more success when it comes to that. You know, we've we've all been through that as coaches. You know, I'd rewind back to 2009, our first time here at Toledo. It's, you know, you, you go out and you beat Colorado that year and, you score 50-some points or whatever we did and, and play lights out, and then you have some games where you don't. It's a work in progress. Things are – the ebbs and flows of it are tough to handle, uh, but you fight through it and, you know, you keep moving. Uh, I think there's probably some question about who's going to play quarterback for them this week. Uh, have you seen a difference between the two? Because Lloyd obviously played quite a bit last week at Notre Dame. Um, you know, I think they do, they'll do a good job putting a plan together around whoever it is to, to, to give them the opportunity to be successful. You know, it's there's still only so many gaps you can create on the football field. You got to have somebody in those gaps. Um, you know, to sit there and say that we're gonna, you know, make a cut up of every throw that each quarterback made and dissect each one and try to put two defensive game plans in place. I don't think that's realistic. So, um, you know, uh, we got to control what we can control. We got to handle our end of this thing and, and and do a good job of trying to get better this week in practice and continue the climb that we've been on on defense, which I think has been a positive one, and uh, keep moving forward. Last year, I saw a number that you guys had. Every game that you won last year, you had to score 45 points or more. This year, you've won three games already where you scored less. Um, does, does that kind of lead you to believe that just, just based on that, that the defense is getting better? What have you seen through just your eyes that tell you the defense is better? Um, well, it sounds like you, you're led to believe the defense is getting better and okay. how you phrase the question. Um, but, you know, of course, there's checkpoints throughout the course of the year and throughout the course of the season that you want to see a steadily improvement. Um, nobody wanted to hear, nor nobody cared, nor should anybody care that we played five freshmen on defense last year. Nobody wanted to hear that last year, and rightfully so. And now they're five sophomores. They've grown up. They're playing better. Uh, they're playing more confident. They're playing more efficient. Um, couple that with some good senior leaders that have been in the fire here for a long time. You're starting to see effective communication. You're starting to see... When things go bad and they break down, a way to rally together and solidify it. Um, signs of championship football. You know, I had 10 play cut up on Sunday. Of a, these are championship type plays and five or six that can't win a championship if you do these things. Um, you know, and that's in all three phases. You know, offense and defensively, that's, you know, there's some moments like that. The kicking game, there's moments like that. You know, nobody cares. We are backup punters and can't get a pump block. You know, you can't. You come out in the third quarter and we, 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 we got a guy open on a post and it just goes off his fingertips or just a hair off. You've got to hit those plays if you want to turn a game from a 24-7 to 7 game to a 31-7 to 7 game. And the course of a football game can change like that. So, you know, it's a momentum sport. We're talking about 18- to 22-year-old people here that emotions run high. Um, you know, and that's what's great about college football. So, um, you know, it's about getting better. It's about continuing the climb. You know, we're a five-game snapshot of, I think, some really good things in all three phases. You know, but the goal was to play 14 games at the beginning of the year, and we're, we're nowhere near that right now. And uh, so we're going to embrace the journey, embrace the taste of that, uh, you know, trying to get to Detroit and keep going. Offensively, running the ball really well, efficient, throwing the ball. Does that balance something that you absolutely need and really want? It's been a winning formula here for a long time. Um, 
Yeah, you'd like to you like to be as balanced as you can. Some defenses do a good job of taking some things away. You know, you, they present different challenges um, in the running game. You know, Western did a good job of packaging some things up and switching some calls at times, and you know, that kind of they got us off schedule a little bit. So, you know, we got to go to work really hard on those type of situations and and, and get those things corrected. But uh, you know, when you're able to run the football effectively, that sets the table for everything else. You know, Mitch has been able to supplement a little bit of that with running with his legs, and that's helped us. Um, you know, but I, you know, we've had a, a good rushing attack to this point in time, and I still don't think we played our best. You know, and I think our offensive line would tell you that. I think our guys on the perimeter would tell you that. Um, you know, and then I think we got to do a really good job of going to work on effectively throwing the football because um, we're going to have to at some point in time here. You know, we've we've won games here in my tenure that we've thrown for 400 yards, and we've won games where we ran the ball for 400 yards, and. It's usually because we've done a good job of, of doing what the defense is allowing us to do. So um, it's not going to look the same every week, and it shouldn't. But, yes, that balance you're talking about, that, that's, that's premier. That's ideal. Gigi does a, they do a Toledo drill where they play your fight song, and they do a drop of spring, and then they still do it during the year. Based on what you said a little bit ago, it sounds like you guys don't do anything like that. What's the, the philosophy that and how do you guys get ready for a rivalry game? Uh, well, we get ready for a rivalry game like we would get ready for everybody else. I mean, we're going to go to practice tomorrow. At, at, uh, team meeting will be here at 720. We'll have a special teams meeting to follow that. We'll break off. We'll go to these individual meetings. We'll get our guys coached up on what the game plan looks like. We'll go out practice for a couple hours. We'll watch a little practice after video or post-practice video. And then those guys from there, then they'll have their classes. We'll do the same thing on Wednesday. Uh, Thursday, we'll have a small walkthrough. Friday we'll practice um, after we get down to the unity, bre unity breakfast there this week, um, which I think is a cool event, you know, that the FCA puts on. And then on Saturday we'll get ready to get out of the hotel, drive down and play the game. About 3.30 the game will end. We'll come back. Sunday we'll do this thing again the same way we did it last week. Yeah, Justin's going to be out for the year. He's had shoulder surgery. Um, tough loss for us, you know, really good cover guy. Um, in that four-game window, so we'll be able to get this year back for him. So we'll come back with two years left. And you know, Bailey's, you know, it looks like it's going to be a little bit longer than expected here with him. So we'll wait and see here on what that deal looks like. He's played lights out. He's confident. Um, you know, very, very skilled. Uh, very confident. You know, he's had a couple pass interference penalties in early games that, you know, a young guy could crumble and fade away. He hasn't varied from his approach. You just tweak a little bit of the things with that guy, and he gets it fixed and figured out. Um, you know, he's not worried about all the outside stuff. You know, some guys, we're going to put these throwback jerseys on. They're worried about 35 pictures on Instagram and what it looks like on Snapchat. That guy goes, puts his mouthpiece in, plays football, and goes to work. And I like guys like that. Those guys win, and those guys win a lot. Um, so the more guys we can get like that guy, the better off we're going to be. It's great to be here this morning. Um, growing up in the state of Ohio, uh, I was always associated with the Ohio State-Michigan game, always watched the Notre Dame-Michigan game. And uh, when I was a little kid, I always watched the Bowling Green-Toledo game. I can uh, remember as a little kid watching that game. Um, many of the people on our staff feel the same way. It's a great rivalry. I know our kids are excited. I know our staff is excited. And uh, I'm honored to uh, be a part of this game. I think it's a great uh, college rivalry. 
Uh, it's 25 minutes up the road. Um, we recruit the same kids, and uh, it's going to be a very exciting uh, rivalry uh, um, over uh, the next uh, few years that I'm here. A lot of coaches and players will say that in the rivalry, it's just another game. You haven't really taken that approach at all. You have said this is important to you. Why is that the case? It's a rivalry game. Um, every single rivalry game that I've been a part of, I've been a part of some great traditions out there. The Florida-Georgia game, the Michigan-Ohio State game, the Auburn-Alabama game, the Virginia-Virginia Tech game, the Boston College-Syracuse game. I mean, at all those places, you never took the rivalry game the same way. It's different. Uh, it's special. It's special on both sides. Uh, generally speaking, both teams normally in really good rivalries respect each other. Uh, they play hard against each other. It's normally a, one of the cleanest football games um, whenever you're in real rivalries. And uh, it's exciting. I mean, my goodness gracious, this game's been being played for a long time now. And uh, having the ability to be part of such a cool game is exciting. And uh, I know our staff feels that way. Obviously, our players do. And um, I feel honored to be a part of it. Obviously, they've they've dominated this rivalry. There's no other way to put it. Um, how do you guys get this thing flipped around? Is it a mentality? Is it recruiting? How do you guys get this thing flipped around? Well, you got to win it. You got to find a way to to win one of those games. I've been on both sides of uh, big time rivalries that it's been uh, lopsided one way or the other, and you got to find a way to to win one. You got to you got to break through, and then obviously through great recruiting, great development consistency. Um, hopefully you can get on track to either be on the other side of the lopsided rivalry or it's uh, all those really, really good rivalries is win two, win one, back and forth. They're so exciting. They're so fun. And uh, hopefully we can get it back uh, to those standards where it is an exciting back and forth rivalry because that's good for college football. As a first-year head coach, how do you explain this game to other first-year players or freshmen who haven't been a part of it yet? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think you fall back on your past experiences of being a part of such really, really big-time rivalries. You explain to them um, what, a, what a game like this means. Um, and you also teach them to respect the rivalry. I mean, my goodness gracious, that's what this game's all about is you want to – you want to go out and you want to beat your rival. You want to do this. You want to do that. But you also have to respect them because they're trying to do the same thing. Conversely, for the guys on the other end of the spectrum, the seniors who have not had a chance to beat Toledo yet, what is there just a sense of finality when you go into this game and you haven't gotten the win that you want? I'm sorry. Ask that one more time, Nick. There's a sense of finality when you're at your last chance to beat them. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've. Uh, I watched Chad Henney experience that at uh, Michigan. Um, uh, I watched John Cooper go through that at Ohio State. You know, the um, you want to try to find a way to to win your rivalry, especially when it's your last opportunity to do it. So um, that's the cool things about rivalries is uh, once you hit that fourth and fifth year and it's your last go around, uh, you respect it, you understand it. Um, and you get pretty fired up to go play in this game. And I know their kids are doing the same thing, which is uh, that's why it's a rivalry. It's awesome. I think the old cliche is that you can throw records out the, the window in a game like this. Do you take that approach um, when, when you go into a game as obviously a heavy underdog? I've, uh, I've, seen, uh, I've seen that game or the rivalry games uh, where 
particular school that I was at uh, would have a very average year and that other particular school would be number one, number two in the country and you find a way to win. And uh, I've been on the other side where you're the heavy favorite and you walk in and the next thing you know, you're, you're, get, you're behind really quick. So, um, yeah, I think in, in any big rivalry game, I think all the records are always thrown out the window because you never know what's going to happen. The motions are different. Uh, people are playing as hard as they possibly can. They're generally as locked in as they possibly can be. And uh, so to answer your question, if we were favorites or underdogs, you better be locked and loaded and you better be locked into exactly what you're doing and how you want to do business because uh, it is a rivalry. They're different. They're, they're special. And weird things happen in rivalry games, which is why people watch them. Uh, we'll uh, decide that at the end of the week. When you're in practice this week, how are you going to differentiate who you want to start with? In terms of rep, well, we only have two on scholarship, so it's it's not hard to rep them. You follow me? Now, if you had three and four and all that, it's difficult, you know, of how you're going to distribute the reps. So, unfortunately and fortunately, we're not in a situation where rep count is an issue. Obviously, this rivalry has kind of been on your guys' minds since you got here during camp. You guys had the song playing for certain drills during practice as well. So what do you feel the energy is like for you guys this week? Do you, is there a different kind of energy? Yeah, it's, it should be different. It's, it's different for them. It's different for us. That's the way you know great rivalries are. You, you approach them. Um, obviously, we always approach it business-like in terms of it is just another game, but the fact of the matter is it's not. I mean, the emotions are high. Uh, it's, a, it's a school that's 25 minutes either north or south, matters which place you're at. And uh, we all recruit the same guys. It's, they both have Bowling Green and Toledo. Both have ridiculous traditions. So, uh, yeah, it's different. It's different for them. It's different for us, and it should be. I think uh, they've three things whenever you, you watch them on tape. Number one, uh, there's been consistency in that program for a long time. Uh, they've had consistency, um, and you can see it. Uh, they're, uh, they've got a system on all three phases of the ball. They've done a great job recruiting, in my opinion. Uh, I think uh, their athletes are arguably one or two, I mean, however you want to skin it, uh, in the Mid-American Conference. Um, and three, I think they've developed their guys quite well. And uh, all of the things that we want to do here, we want to have consistency here. We want to be able to recruit really well. And we want to develop our players. And that you can tell that, that that program has been put together for quite some time because of all the three things. You can see, you can taste it, you can feel on tape. After Saturday's game, you felt like you guys played a better game than you did at Kent State, but you weren't sure you wanted to look at the film. After looking at the film, do you feel better going into this Saturday now? Um, offensively, I thought uh, that uh, we, we ran the football okay. Uh, still not consistent. Uh, we're still missing the ability to have those explosion plays that you'll want. Uh, defensively, I thought uh, the front seven played much better than we did in Kent State. The back end struggled. Uh, we did not play well in the back end. Our situational football on third down on offense was much, much improved. We were able to stay on the field longer. Uh, defensively, we were not good in third down, and we weren't good in the red area. So uh, there were some positives, there were some negatives. And, uh, um, you know, walking into 
that defense, that offense, that special teams with 60-some-odd guys on scholarship and compared to their 85 and their other 35, 40 guys that are on the sidelines over there. You know, we competed as hard as we possibly can. We were able to come out with some positives. Is it anything of the standards and expectations that we want right now? No, of course not. We all know that. But uh, we needed to uh, find some positives and obviously work on the negatives uh, that we saw on the tape. Maybe the best thing about I love it. You know, I mean, uh, that's awesome. I mean, uh, that's the part that uh, I think makes them great on offense is that they are balanced, and that's what we want to be. We, uh, I think they're, I want to say, ninth in rushing or tenth in rushing, something of that na uh, nature in, in the nation. Uh, they have the ability to throw the football through. Uh, they've got some really good route concepts and play action, and obviously their RPO world is uh, outstanding. And uh, Defensively, they're athletic, uh, they're disruptive in the back end. I think the uh, young freshman, number 13, I think he can play anywhere. I think he's different. And uh, just like I said, I think they've done a really good job recruiting and developing their players. How do you approach a quarterback like Guadani who can, when plays break down, he can, he can run and things like that? How do you guys approach that defensively? No, you got to corral him, you know, obviously. If you can try to get them into one phase of their game, that helps with the balance issue. You know, if you can somehow find a way to stop the run, that helps uh, dealing with a quarterback that can break the pocket and be able to contain him. So he's really good. He's a senior. I think he's tough. Uh, he's been banged up before, and he has a, the ability to come back and play injured. Um, he's a tough guy. I, I respect him, and uh, any time that a quarterback's tough and resilient like he is, you got to give him much respect. Grant did on Saturday. Um, what jumped out at you, and, and were there things that you liked that that you hadn't seen from him yet? Um, there was two times in the throw game that uh, he anticipated really, really well, and uh, that's his issue at times is the anticipation to be able to see it before it happens. And um, there was time. There was two t instances that I thought it was outstanding. There was a couple times that he was very late, which. Um, negated us from catching and running, creating yak yards. So there was some improvement with him. He's got a lot of things to continue to work on. I thought he did a great job with leadership uh, in the huddle. I thought he tried to drive the team. Um, Mistake-wise, you know, there's some things in the passing game that you would really want to see improved on, and he's working on them really hard. So you just heard Matt Candle and, and Scott Leffler's comments about this game. Um... Yeah, I, like I said, I like Scotty's comments. Uh, he's more into this rivalry than anything else. We'll see how who they're going to start with. They're either going to be Wade or Lloyd when it comes to this game. I I prefer Lloyd, in my opinion. Um, for Toledo, I think it's just going to be business as usual. It sounds like it's business as usual, but we'll see what happens with that. Of course, yours truly will be at the football game this upcoming Saturday. We'll have a special live Facebook show from the tailgate lot. Of course, we will also be doing the podcast live as well, too, from the tailgate lot as well. Um, we'll have some hot dogs, hamburgers, bratwurst. We'll have it all cooked up. Um, it also is depending on the weather as well, too. Uh, there's talks that there might be a little bit of a, a scattered rain shower. It's going to be a brisk, cool afternoon in Bowling Green, Ohio. I know that for a fact. They've got the hoodie all packed up, ready to go for this one. Um, I got the pullover and the hoodie ready to go just in case of how the weather is going to be, but Bowling Green, 
we'll have that 24,000 seat Joy Del Perry Stadium packed this upcoming Saturday. Tickets are still available by calling by going to bgsufalcons.com or going to the Stroh Center box office or going to Ticketmaster for the tickets for the game. Good seats are still available. Get them while you got them right here. And uh, we'll have a special Falcon Friday edition, of course, on Friday from the from here in the studios, of course. And then Saturday we will be at the tailgate lot. We'll have full in-depth coverage of the games, both Friday and Saturday. Get you set up for this upcoming weekend. Bowling Green versus Toledo. This is the rivalry, folks. This is the one we've been waiting for. As you are listening to All Andy Offer tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening, wherever and whenever you're listening, thank you for tuning into the show. And we are hitting the end of the program. It's almost time for Andy Rants. And I also have another sports subject I would like to talk about. So it's time for Andy Rance, and before we get to Andy Rance, I want to talk about Bowling Green's hockey program, picking up a big win on Sunday at Miami of Ohio, a big 7-4 win. Coach Bergeron, the former coach of Bowling Green State University, is now the new head coach at Miami, and his club getting losing to his old alma mater in Bowling Green, and these kids, you know, showing their coach that they can still do it without him. And at the end of the game, each one of them going up to him and giving him a hug, and you know, like he used to do back at Bowling Green, it's great to see. Um, and I see a lot of good, positive things coming out of the program coming forward this season. And of course, this upcoming weekend at the Huntington Center in downtown Toledo, it is the Icebreakers Tournament. Tickets are available twenty dollars on Groupon or $30 at the Huntington Center for the full weekend pass. It is Bowling Green State University, uh, Rhode Island Institute Technologies, the Ohio State University, and Western Michigan, all four teams playing each other this upcoming weekend. Tickets are available by going to the Huntington Center box office, going to Ticketmaster, or going on Groupon.com, getting your tickets through there. Tickets are $20 through them. $30 $30 for the full weekend pass at the Huntington Center. Great weekend for college hockey. If you can't get down to the down to the Doit to watch BG versus Toledo, this is a great opportunity to see Bowling Green's hockey, striving and productive hockey team coming in to play this upcoming season. So you're listening to All ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, however you're listening wherever and whenever you're listening. Thank you so much for tuning in, and now it's time for Andy Rants. And I want to talk about this. The Broadcaster's Curse. Now, plenty of times in my career, I have, I have fallen victim to what people do, what other broadcasters have done. And one of them was made public on Saturday. As I was watching Iowa and Michigan. Nate Stanley, Nate the Great Stanley, of course, from Iowa, had not thrown an interception in his career at Iowa as the quarterback. And Gus Johnson made a point with Joe Clack to keep saying it over and over and over. This guy hasn't thrown an interception. And what does he do? He throws an interception. Broadcasters have a right to 
give you the information, give you the stats as needed. But when it comes to a streak like that, you don't talk about a streak like that. It's the same way if you're talking about a no-hitter. You don't talk about a no-hitter until the final, the final out is recorded. You don't talk about making a big deal over a, a guy who has made such and such amount of points in every game. And then he loses it because you jinx him. The broadcaster's curse needs to stop. And Gus Johnson is is the big victim. Not the big victim. Nate Stanley is the big victim over it. This kid had a hell of a season. He's had hell of a season after hell of a season after hell of a season. And this kid gets the opportunity to play on the national stage. And of course... And of course, everybody jumps all over him as soon as he throws his first interception. It's the broadcaster's curse. And we need to stop it. Because it's ruining the game. And ruining the integrity of the once-in-a-lifetime moment that we want to see. So I urge my friends in the broadcast community to stop the curse. And let it play out. Plainly simple. That's going to wrap it up for all ADL for tonight right here on the Anchor Network. And if you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, then what are you doing? Hit the subscribe button. We do podcasts every Tuesday and Friday right here on the show. And remember to follow us on Facebook for our Falcon Friday edition. That's facebook.com slash Albert. I'm Andy Alford, and that's going to be all the time I have for you tonight. And as always, I'm pulling for you. We're all in this together. The game of life. Keep your stick on the ice. And to the teams you were for at home, and to my teams, go Jackets! Go Walleye! Go Cyclones! Go Falcons! And go State! And go Lions! And come on, Brownies! Gotta recoup. Victory is sweetest. When you have tasted defeat. Have a great week everybody. I'll talk to you Friday. For a special Falcon Friday edition of All Andy Alford. The Battle of I-75. Love you. Talk to you guys then. Follow Andy on Twitter. It is at All Andy Alford. It is at All Andy Alford. And on Facebook.com slash All Andy Alford. This has been a presentation of the All Andy Alford Network. Powered by Anchor.